Good morning. My name's Anthony. I'm the pastor of Valley Hope Church. That, um, you know, that, that chorus that we were singing that focuses on that repeated word, Hosanna, uh, if, you, um, if you've grown up in church, there's possibility that you just sing that because that's what people sing. And if you didn't grow up coming to church, what are you saying? What, what does that mean? Um, and it's this cry that, that carries this traditional weight that's born not just out of the Christian church, but even before that for the people of Israel, this uh, exaltation of, of the king who comes in and rides with salvation. Uh, it's originally a plea to, to please come and help save me, but it sort of culturally transforms its meaning uh, to just uh, announce an assumed salvation. So uh, that song, when, and when you're singing that, that words with that song, and you'll, you'll hear songs like that again on Palm Sunday, it is the people of God uh, shouting aloud the confidence that God will come and save because He is the God who comes and saves. Um, and that's, that's really good news. So if you sang that without knowing that, Look at all the things that you just said on, on accident, and now I'm, and I'm helping you know what you did on purpose. Um, last week, we had with us a couple missionaries that we support, Samuel and Zarini Fus, uh, who are over uh, in India, northern India. Uh, and this morning, I wanted to bring up uh, Adger McKay, and you can bring your family up if you'd like. It's up to you, your call. Um, and many of you have never met the McKays, uh, maybe seen them around Black Mountain. They're they're sort of Black Mountain people, um, and they are they are missionaries that we support uh, in Germany. And they they've been doing a special kind of work, and we wanted to give you the opportunity to see them, um, maybe meet them after church, and and hear what they're doing. So welcome. It's good to have you. I'm going to turn this over to you, and let you go.
So we want to we want to pray for them that that God would bless their work, obviously, and make it fruitful, but also to God would bless their family. Um, this is a family endeavor. It's not like Adra goes over on business trips and, and come home. Everybody um, has gone over and. Um, are you, all of you bilingual now? Pretty much. The, the boys are coming along really quick, but I still have some journey. You're the least uh, yeah, bilingual. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, great. I'm, I'm holding everybody back. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. So we'll just pray for Andrew to catch up. Um, but we also want to pray, we want to pray for their family. We want to pray for these communities and these people that, that God loves, and some of whom know that and some of whom do not. So um, if you could, uh, would you stretch out your hand as we pray for them? Lord Jesus, we thank you for calling the McKays over to Germany. And uh, God, there has been unimaginable, brutal chaos that has been um, unleashed on this region in the Middle East and so many people, families, people groups displaced. And God, um, it seems like all there is there is darkness and death. And yet somehow you have brought so many people to a place uh, where they are more likely than ever before to hear the gospel than they ever were in their lives. And God, we just see the possibilities for redemption there. It doesn't, doesn't just make all the wounds of war go away but it is You weaving stories of grace through just darkness. And God, we pray that the people who are gathered here in southern Germany would begin to be healed and made whole by the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That their their hearts would be finding a home and rest in You. That their minds would be healed of the trauma of war, that their bodies would be cared for, fed, and ministered to. God, we pray that as a whole person, they would be uh, rubbing against the good news of Jesus as King, and they would find safety in Your kingdom. And God, we pray for the McKays that they would be living exemplars of the goodness of the King that they as a family would be drawn together in love, that they'd be united in purpose, that every one of them would sense the call to the place that they are in. God, we pray that every person in their family would be uh, finding friendship, would find fulfillment in their work or in school, that they would enjoy the, the goodness of sharing table with people. I pray, God, that their whole family would find delight in You. God, I I pray that this time in their life would be marked by an overwhelming sense of joy even when it is difficult, when being a cross-cultural resident gets tiring. Jesus, uh, we love them, and we love that You love them more. Pray, God, that You would bless them with Your presence more than anything else. Keep them healthy as they travel. Provide for them all that they need. May their life as a family together be a proclamation that Jesus is King and He is a good King. We love You, Lord. May all the peoples of the earth sing Your praises. Amen. Thanks. Oh, can you take this and give that to one of those people? Thank you. No, you can throw it. It's fine. We'll catch it, I'm sure. No, um, the the work that the McKays are a part of in in Germany is just another reason that I'm really grateful to be a part of the EPC. Um, You know, our country is going through a particular national moment where uh, what to do with refugees is it's like a thing. And, um, you know, they, you have people who are just saying it's too dangerous for us and we don't want to welcome men. And you have other people saying this is important and, but are not quite sure exactly how to do this. And, and that whole national discussion 
changes nothing about the fact that there are millions of people that are displaced from their homes and need care. And this is a place where they are. So whether you can figure out what we should be doing as a country or, or what that looks like, whatever, um, these people exist and are not waiting around for you and I to decide uh, what, what we should do. These are people that, that God dearly loves and have seen and experienced horrific things. And I'm so grateful for the McKays for being obedient to the call and for many, many churches uh, in Germany and elsewhere in Europe who are uh, preaching the gospel and taking care of these people in, in real ways. And there are real challenges to that, for sure. Um, but those kinds of people and places are the places where Jesus called His church. So really grateful that we get to be a, a very small part of, of having a hand there. If you have questions for them about what that might look like for you personally, please go talk to them. They would love for you to be connected to their work. Even if it's just hearing regularly what's going on and praying for them, they would certainly accept your prayers. Um, okay, we are, uh, we are in a f- just a f- small four-week series uh, on the Lord's Prayer, which is part of a longer kind of 10-week Focus on the kingdom as we move into the new semester. And um, we're, we're focusing this morning on the, the part of the prayer that, that Jesus teaches us to pray for His kingdom to come, for His will to be done. So that's, uh, if you don't remember the Lord's Prayer, there's, there's two places. The most common uh, version of the Lord's Prayer that you usually praise is found in Matthew 6. So I'll just read that for us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So last week we talked about this beginning portion, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this morning we're talking about this little piece, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I'm going to read uh, from Luke 22, starting at verse 39, and that'll be up in the screen behind me as well. So Luke 22, starting at verse 39. And he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you, are remi- if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are people who often don't know how to pray. We don't read the Gospels and ask, see the disciples asking to be taught how to pray and say, wow, those guys are strange. We if we were to confess honestly, would say that we often are in the same position. We don't know how to pray. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft, that you would teach us how to pray this Jesus kingdom kind of prayer. God, we confess to you that there is a kind of agony in praying this kind of prayer. We pray that we would see you see you as trustworthy. And even, God, if we learn to pray at first through gritted teeth, that this prayer would be the the model, the fountain from which all of our prayer flows. God, help us to see you for who you are as our great Father and our great King. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we talked about last week 
how God uh, teaches us through Jesus teaches us to pray that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be made holy in all the earth, that it would be exalted for who he really is, that that name would be spoken everywhere, and that God wants to do that by having people pray and address him as Father, that that is intrinsic, that is central to the thing that God wants people to know about Him, the truth of who He really is, is that we would see Him and know Him as Father, that we would somehow have a piece of the Trinitarian relationship, that we would be able to address Him like the Son addresses Him in prayer. And we also talked about uh, how this Father who resides in heaven is not saying in Jesus that He is very far away. We're not saying that he's sitting in heaven way, 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 way up there and that the only way that we can get close to him is by this mystical connection of prayer and a rocket ship that could somehow take us there. That's not what heaven means. That's not how Jesus' people thought of heaven and it is not how Jesus is teaching us to think about heaven. And that matters as we talk about this particular uh, petition and we pray for Jesus' kingdom to come and His will to be done. We are not imagining this huge open-ended universe that God is somehow sitting on top of and then praying that He would push the down button on the elevator and make His kingdom come down. That's not what we're talking about. Because the rest of the Gospels will give these instances of of Jesus' people, uh, including John the Baptist, and Jesus Himself saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So somehow the kingdom is at hand. It is nearby. It is close to us. And yet we are also praying at the same time that the kingdom would come. The kingdom is here and yet still coming. And this is central to the strangeness of what Christians believe is that we have our feet in two different buckets. That we have the now when we say God is present, but yet we're also the people who are praying that He would somehow be more present. We said that last week that that heaven has more to do with God's reign, with God's uh, supreme will being done in fullness than it does location. And this is the same sort of spirit that's in this petition. We are praying that what God wants is what we would want. We are praying that God who, who rules from His throne would speak from His throne and what He says as decree would be done. Because there is the heart of the kingdom. I, I teach a survey of the Old Testament and New Testament in Montreal, if you've been my students. And we talk about the kingdom and we talk about the New Testament. And what I try to, to get people to talk about is what does it really mean when we say kingdom? And, you know, people's first reaction when they, when they start talking about that is perfectly normal. How do you know you're in a new kingdom as you go to a new place? So I, I know I'm in the United Kingdom when my feet touch the island of, of, the, of Great Britain. Well, that's true, but is it true? Because, for example, if... I don't know, we went crazy and decided, you know what, we want England. We're going to send all of our military over there, and we're going to just take like half of it. We're just going to take England, just because we want it. England, half of, half of you, us, you can have Scotland and Northern Ireland, UK. The, king, the queen has had her kingdom sh- uh, shrunken. We're going to just take half of England. Now, when that happens in this imaginary universe, and we have for some reason taken half of the island, and you decide, you know what, I'm going to go visit this new 51st state of England, and then you fly over there, and you get off the airplane at Heathrow, and you walk into London, are you in England, or are you in the United States? You're in the United States at that point. Your feet, just because they've touched a new place, have not entered a new kingdom. Why? Why is it not a new kingdom? Well, because that place now is the place where our government is in control. So it's not a new kingdom. It's the same kingdom. It's just the borders have been extended. 
So what really defines what is a kingdom and what is not? What defines a kingdom is who is ruling there. That is what we mean when we say kingdom of God. That is why we can walk through the world and say God's kingdom is present, it's here, and yet so many non-kingdom signs are present. Because it's not that the geography has not been invaded. It's that the people are not subjecting themselves to the government of God. So Jesus is teaching us to pray to be full kingdom citizens in our own lives and that this kingdom reign would extend further and further in all the earth. So that my neighbor's house is a place where Jesus is obeyed as king. So that my house more fully reflects the rule and reign of God. Because this is the also the, the strange fact is I would say Jesus is my king. But there are definitely times in my life on a daily basis where you could walk in, watch silently and say, I don't know who that man's king is. It's usually me. Spoiler alert. I usually get most irritated when somebody violates my own particular rule and reign. Because see, this is actually the driving problem of the biblical story. And always has been. This is the thread of the whole Bible if we're talking about problems. Often, people from the outside look at the stories that Christians tell and think they're really obsessed with you doing this list of things from the bad side. And they get that impression because, and you may have that impression because you read lists of laws and think, well, this is how we'll think about it. Sometimes I do the bad things and sometimes I do the good things and there's maybe some problems with that and that needs to get all sort of worked out and then there's Jesus and those things are sort of worked out. But this is not the way the Bible has us understand what the problem with you and me is. Maybe you're sitting there saying there is no problem with me and wow, it must be kind of great to be you if you think there's nothing wrong with you. So just bear with us, everybody else who feels that there is something wrong with them. Most of us could say there's something not right with us. You can verbalize it in a number of different ways. Nobody's perfect. You know, I have some sort of emotional problems, whatever it is. The Bible will name the problem with you and me as sin. That is the problem. And we don't particularly like that. We don't like that word. It kind of makes us cringe. But the Bible will insist that the problem with you and I is sin. And that is not fundamentally about you picking the wrong behaviors off of column B of the menu. See, the Bible will tell this story that God made the world and He made His people. He made people to be image bearers, to to be these walking signposts of the kingship of God. When the Bible uses this language of image bearing, it is intentionally borrowing from the culture around it where kings who would take over places would build statues of themselves, not because they thought they were super beautiful, but because they wanted everybody in the area to know this land is owned by this king. This land is under the dominion, the reign, the control of this king. So when the Bible says that people bear the image of God, what they're saying saying to us, the reader, is you and I are designed to be signposts, declarations of God's kingship. That's what it means to bear this image so that people would look on us, that all of creation would look on us and not think, wow, they're amazing, but look on us and say, wow, God reigns here. But the problem in the biblical story is that you and I were not satisfied, continue to not be satisfied with this role of signposts, and instead we want to be the thing that the sign is pointing at. I don't want to bear the image. I want to be the one who rules. 
That is the temptation at the beginning of the biblical story when Adam and Eve are, are faced with the temptation of eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It's not that God doesn't want them to know what is good and what is evil. That's clearly nonsense. He has told them what is good and what is evil. He wants them to know. Is that they, by their eating, are saying, I want to be the one who determines what is good and evil. That is an intention to reign. And that is not what people were made for. You and I were meant to be signposts, participants, glad citizens in the reign and rule of God. But what we crave is power. What we crave is the reigns of the kingdom ourselves. And you will see this in Israel's story over and over and over and over again. Is that they will be reminded that life works better when they are living it as it is meant to be with God as King. But then they'll say, you know what? I got this thing. I can do it. I could maybe even do this better. And they go on this terrible cycle of forgetting that God should be king and they should not. And God says, fine, if you want to be king, go ahead. I'll let you. And it's terrible. It's awful. It never works out. And God will just mercifully remind them that He is meant to be king and Israel will repent and everything will be good again. They're like, hey, we can do this. And then they'll go downhill again and everything will be terrible and terrible. And God is like, it's better when I'm king. And Israel will say, you're right, you should be king. And everything will be great. And then they'll forget and everything will be terrible. And if you read this again and again and again, and it just feels like this horrible washing machine. You ever watched washing machines, the front-loading kind, where you can just sort of watch the, the clothes tumble around? This is Israel. I'm in my read the Bible in a year plan and I'm, I'm reading through the books of Chronicles right now and it is just a never ending cycle of Israel getting it and Israel being dumb again and again and again and again. And at the heart of this stupidity is this desire to rule and to reign the way that you want to. And I, I experience this all the time in my own life in the stupidest ways. Everybody who has been in this church for more than two weeks knows that I, I deal with a minor case of road rage. When, when people do not operate their motor vehicles at the correct speed, no slower, no faster, I get super annoyed. And just recently, I was leaving Buckeye Cove and I, somebody pulled out just ahead of me on the road and that somebody decided that 29 was the correct speed as opposed to 40. And I had to like coach myself. This is not a big deal. I will get to the end of this road within 90 seconds. This is not a big deal. And I was talking myself down, talking myself down from my annoyance and we pulled up to the edge of Buckeye Cove and there's a right lane and a left lane. He was in the right and I was on the left and I was like, I'm free! And I pulled up to the line and then he honked at me. Because he was an older gentleman that wanted a clearer sight line to look left and he was like waving at me and yelling at me to back. He's like behind the line by like 10 yards and I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're doing, bro. I'm on the line. I am driving correctly. I have given you grace and you don't even know it. I could have flamed you in my heart for like 90 seconds here and now you're honking at me and telling me to back up so you can see. Move up! I didn't do that. In my heart, I did that. I didn't do that though. But still, Somehow I have this conviction that the most important person in the world is me. And those 90 seconds from my driveway to the end of Buckeye Cove are vital 
to the history and momentum of the universe. And if people do not drive correctly, I have a right to be enraged at them, for I am their king. (laughs) I am the king of earth, and they should obey me. That guy is just enjoying a pleasant Saturday morning drive, but he should be aware. That kind of nonsense is a small moment. But we, we do this in big and small things. I am the most important person in the world. If I am not happy and I am not fulfilled, I will do what I want. And if God says otherwise, He will bow the knee to me and I will do as I please. That kind of attitude is, for one, lunacy. If God is God, the infinite God of the universe, He does not bow His knee to anyone. And for you or me, pathetic, puny little me, to say, I have right knowledge, I have right intention, you will adjust your plan to me, is to spit in the face of a tsunami. And every moment that we stand before infinite, blazingly holy God and say, I will be God here, and we are not wiped off the face of the earth is a moment of grace and mercy. By rights, we should be destroyed, vaporized before the rightful king because what we are doing is treason. And God can bring His rule to bear however He likes. It is lunacy It's also entirely self-destructive. If God is the one who makes the kingdom, if He is the one who actually orders things to be the way that they are, not living according to the way that He has designed the world puts you on the path for immense pain and suffering. Your toaster is meant to work on a counter far away from water. But if you decide, you know what? I like toast in my bathtub. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. I'm going to put it right next. Nay, I will put it in my bathtub. Guess what's going to happen when you make that choice? Bro, you're going to the hospital. You're getting shocked. Because you did not design the toaster and you didn't design physics either. You are going to die. And we do this all the time. Well, God says things should work this way. However, I have other thoughts. I'm going to go ahead and do it my way. You deserve... I deserve to die for my treason in that moment. And I very well may die because I am playing with the universe as if it is my own when God has designed it for other purposes. When Jesus is teaching us to pray, Thy kingdom come, He is fixing us. He is healing what is broken in the world. He is undoing the fracturing and fissures of sin and making us to be more fully human. He's bringing us into life as it was meant to be lived. And it terrifies us because we give up what we most want in the world, which is to be kings or queens. What is behind this petition Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. 
is a question. Do you find God to be trustworthy? Do you trust Him? How do you look at someone and say, I will give you what I hold most dear? A week ago, I I was camping with my family and uh, we were all sleeping in the same tent. um, Sleeping. And at some point, I... Near the end of my sleep, I had a really vivid dream that my dad died. And I don't know why, and it freaked me out. Because I felt, I felt it in that moment that my dad had died. And the only thing that pulled me out of that dream was was a memory of my dad texting me, and then in my dream, it's like I, I woke up and said, oh wait, that happened. He just did text me. He's not dead. And I woke up. But I felt the the grief and the loss, just the edges of it. And then Thursday, a couple couple days ago, I woke up at 5 to to go work out like I do every day. And I have my phone in another room. I have it in airplane mode. And I walked over and I turned it on to sort of check what the workout was going to be for the day. And I got a text message from my mom. And I could see that she sent it an hour before. My mom does not sleep well, but she doesn't text me at four in the morning. And she said, good morning, exclamation point. Your dad was taken to the hospital in an ambulance. I need you to give me a call. And I was immediately back in the world of my dream and afraid that my nightmare was coming true. And I didn't call her right away because I just wanted to get out of my house. I didn't want to talk to her, trying to be quiet while the rest of my family slept. So I I got ready and I left. And I I called her on the way to to the gym and he'd been sick with this thing called diverticulitis. He's gotten it five or six times. It's this infection in the gut. It's really not fun. He was sleeping out in the family room or trying to sleep, and my mom woke up to what she said was like the sound of a gunshot. It was my dad's body hitting the floor. And she walked out and found him unconscious. And when he came to, he was babbling nonsense, like he was having a stroke or a seizure. And she called 911, and they came and got him, and by the time they got him to the hospital, he'd done it again. Same thing. And he couldn't remember my name. He remembered that I was his son, but he couldn't, he couldn't come up with my name. And that was all she knew at that point. They, they weren't sure what to do with his neurological symptoms or... And so I, I tried to do what I was getting up to do. I worked out, I drove home, and I came home and went down to our basement. And I got another call, and my mom said that um, they were thinking that this was all just a result of infection, of the diverticulitis, and the blood flow adjusting to his heart, and that made him pass out when it infected his... But they were going to do a CT scan of his head to make sure that he hadn't had a seizure or something. And at that point, I lost it. I was just alone in our basement. And the thing that I'd been worrying about for several hours at that point, I just sort of put my hands on my knees and I just cried. And I just, I begged God not to take my dad. I'm not ready to not have him. My dad's dad died before I was born. I never met him. And I'm grateful that all my kids have known my dad. But I have a son who's three, almost three, and an infant, and I don't want them to not have memories of my dad. I was not ready for that. 
I wasn't ready for him to maybe still be alive and not be all there, to be perfectly honest. So I decided on Thursday to drive to Atlanta, go see my dad in the hospital. By the time I got there, his CT scan was clear. He was in pain, but he was much better. They had a pretty good guess as to what happened, and he, he was fine, relatively speaking. He's home now. He's, he's fine. Um, but as I was walking out of that hospital, I felt a question as I thought about this passage because it was on my mind as I walked out. Would you pray this prayer? Would you pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Not my kingdom come. My will be done. But when your father is potentially dying, would you trust me? And would you pray thy kingdom come? Thy will be done. And as I got back in the elevator to go down to my car and to drive back that same day, my confession was that I was not ready to pray that. It was not my instinct. It wasn't where my heart was. I was so troubled. Because in that moment, the answer to the question behind the petition is, do you, do you find me trustworthy? The answer was no. You will have this question put to you in your life in a hundred thousand different ways. And sometimes it will be incredibly painful to grit your teeth and say, yes, I will trust you. And sometimes through gritted teeth, you will say, absolutely not. How? How can you learn to look at God and say yes? How can you look at God and trust Him to be the one that you say, Your will be done. My best answer for you is to read the passage that we read at the beginning of this in Luke 22. And listen to Jesus pray that prayer. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him and being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus does not teach His people to pray this from a distance. Jesus prays this prayer on behalf of and for His people. And Jesus is not teaching His disciples to pray this saying there will never be a cost. Jesus is teaching His disciples to pray this knowing there will be the highest cost. Jesus is, is not removing this from the arena of suffering. This prayer only makes sense in light of His own suffering. I am invited, I am begged, I am demanded to trust God, not just because He is holy, not just because He's bigger than me and more powerful than me. I am invited to trust Him because God put Himself on the cross. And He is the good and trustworthy One. And I know it for sure because Jesus splayed Himself 
for all to see and to say, the God who wills and works for you is the one who would sacrifice his son for you. I am not offering myself up to a capricious and mean deity who might screw with me and put me through all kinds of hoops just for his own bizarre and twisted pleasure. He is the Father God. He is the one who sacrificed himself for me. He is the one who loves me to the point of death. He is the one who wants his name to be hallowed, not by just calling him the great one, but for me to come to him as Abba, Father, so that I can even hold the life of my own father in open hands and say that whatever you want is better for me than anything that I can imagine. This does not exempt me from suffering. Cannot look at the life of Jesus and say that his people are exempted from suffering. Jesus himself is the suffering servant. And all of his people's lives have been a story to us through all time. We are not exempted from suffering. But the deep, deep joy where we as people dive into what we were made for by giving ourselves over to the King who made us, overrides, transcends all the suffering that life will throw at us. To pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, is to say that whatever may come, You are more delightful than anything I could lose. That does not mean that the losing will not hurt. It means that anything that hurts us can be healed. Any wounds the world makes on our bodies and on our hearts will one day be resolved when the will of God is most fully expressed and carried out and He wipes the tears from our eyes. My Father in heaven is not distant or cold or unpredictable. He is predictably Himself. Father God, stretched out, suffering for His people, that we might have life and love in Him that exceeds anything that we will ever lose. If you are here this morning and you know that you are in the grips of living your own life the way that you want, and I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe that looks like you just being the best person you can figure out how to be. And anybody looking at your life would say, yeah, they're pretty much a great person. Great. But if you know that you are the determiner of what is good in your life, and God is absolutely not allowed to tell you what you do not want to hear. You are in slavery. And you will die. You are bringing the toaster into the bathtub. Give up the throne. Stop giving yourself to your own particular kind of slavery to sin and death and stop trying to be what you cannot be. You are not the ruler of heaven and earth. Come live a more liberated life with Jesus. And if you struggle, you want to pray this prayer, you want to give yourself over to the good God, the good King over in heaven and earth, but you struggle to answer yes to the question, is God trustworthy? The, the petition to you, the plea to you is the same as every Sunday. Look at the cross. He loves you. He loves you ceaselessly, fully, infinitely. We may live in a broken and flawed world that will yet inflict wounds on us. But next to the split open side of Christ is a fountain that will forever heal you. If you have been wounded this morning, come to the cross.
and let Daddy King hold you and heal you. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is our hope for now and always, forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we confess that we, we do this poorly. That we want control of our lives. We want to be the ones in charge. We have... Um, there has been violence done to us. We have done violence to ourselves and to others. We are terrible dictators. God, I, I pray that this morning we would hear the call of the gospel to recognize you as good and benevolent, the Father King that we need. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us where we have not let go of control, where we continue to seek out our own tyranny. Help us, God, to let go of those realms. Father, I pray for all the places where we are people who, who have a hard time confessing that we trust you. Father, I, I pray that you will win our hearts, that you will ease our doubts, that you would help us to see the cross for those things that we be reminded how good you are to us. We pray that your kingdom would come, Lord Jesus. We know that it's here. We know that it's among us. We pray that it would grow in us. We pray that it would grow in our valley. That more and more the reign of Jesus would be extended to the borderlands of our communities, to the edges of the earth, that all peoples might freely and joyfully confess in every tongue under heaven that Jesus Christ is Lord and He is the good King that we have been longing for. Make much of yourself, Lord Jesus, and heal us. Amen.